1: For twenty-five percent off your DNA test kit. These parents fought these wars. You know, we went through a lot of work fighting for this and it started making a lot of attention come to us as we were fighting for these parents' rights and for our rights to take care of our parents. Mm. or roll yourself a joint, sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on the Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber.
0: From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now, here's your host, Joyce Gerber, and welcome back to the Cannamom Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry. One can a story at a time. So today, before I introduce today's guest, who has an enormous cannabis story, I want to recommend a book about plants that has been trending this year, kind of connected to cannabis. It was written actually 10 years ago. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass. I know I always hold stuff up, even though this is a podcast. Well, I can see it. <laughs> I'm sharing with Dave. Right. So it's called Braiding it. Sweetgrass. It's by Robin Wall Kimmerer. She is a mother, a scientist, a decorated professor, and an enrolled member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. And she's a Native American individual, lives in New York. And she wrote this book 10 years ago. And it's just trending because something about nature and coming back, and I can describe what it is. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, here we sure. go. Um, <laughs> it's described as an invitation to remember a different way to be with the living world. And it's a reminder of how we each have a way to restore the land. And of course, cannabis and hemp is one of the solutions that I happen to be connected with. And what I found most profound about the book is that it questions a lot of our cultural assumptions, our Western assumptions of how, you know, what we're doing. We know we dominate in the land and we're actually destroying our beautiful planet and how humans could use Native American culture to understand that sometimes humans can be good for the land, which is sort of what my next guest is talking about. And if we take care of the earth, the earth will take care of us. So that is a book recommendation. Powerful. Love it. And she was just off. I think she just awarded the MacArthur Genius Grant because she's obviously a genius. And even though it's been out for a while, it's making a round. So I recommend pick up reading it. It's just, again, like cannabis, anything that, you know, our perspective on the world can change with understanding other people's knowledge. For sure. That is that. And then one more thing. So, you know, how I always talk about cleaning your stuff. You would need off a dirty plate, clean your mm. pipes and everything. Mm-hmm. Right, Dave? I'm a little obsessed. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I have a new company I'm going to recommend. He's actually coming on the show in a couple of weeks. He's got a business called Mile High Cleaners. It's right out in Colorado. His name's Jim Barry, And this man is serious. I'm going to show you something. Mm hmm. So it's not just the cleaner. It's got the cleaner and the. We send you a whole bunch of different things to little scrub, uh, scrub brush sort of thing. Yep. I know you can't see this, but this is a magnet. Mm-hmm. So it is. He makes these by hand. It's part of the package. So you know how you always, Dave? How you get the resin inside yep. your bong, and you really can't get it out. <laughs> yeah, you never quite get all of it out. Seems like. Yeah. So this little mechanism, this little tiny piece, goes inside your bong, and mm-hmm. it's a magnet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you can scrub it like oh. at the museum. Of Sh- Children's museum. Do you remember that stuff with the sand? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The sand, the you had the magnet on the bottom of like the clear glass thing with the sand, and you can move it around. Oh, uh, so I get it. So the yeah, the the scrubbing device is inside there, and you're operating it with a magnet on the other side. Very cool. So I'm gonna check it out. Let you know how it goes. If it's good, I'm gonna recommend more of it because apparently cleaning your barn with alcohol isn't really the best idea, and there are some other options. So I actually didn't know that. We can maybe talk about today's guest too, So it's the only thing I'd ever heard is how to clean a bong is with alcohol and salt. But there are other ways. What will they think of next? Learning something new on the can show mm-hmm. And then <laughs> before we introduce today's guest, I just want to say that businesses out there looking to connect with the can show that we still have some 2023 sponsorships available. So, of course, please reach out. That's all I got. Anything for you, Dave? No. Enjoying this unseasonably warm weather because it's going to end pretty soon. And, and our guest has snow. which is I can't believe it. Crazy. We'll talk yeah. about that, too. Yeah. All right. So let's introduce her. Everyone's wondering who it is. So today's guest, who has a huge, huge of story from the wild days of prohibition in Northern California to now being a sought after international cannabis consultant. I met her in Reno last year at the Women in Cannabis Expo, where she was promoting her crop top greenhouses, a unique one person quality greenhouse that she will share more about later in the show here today to talk about her OG life, the power of canna parenting and what she's doing now to add value to the cannabis industry. Please welcome to the canna Mom show, AC Moon. Cameron, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So, AC's out there it's snowing, we're having a little bit of reception, so we're going to be careful with the noise, but we're we're moving along and she has such a big story. So, we're only going to have to a little bit. But we'll, let's start at the beginning. So you are a Northern California native. You had an unconventional youth. You became a mom at a young age. So this is all part of your story. But can you tell us how your a Mom story impacted your, I guess, your
1: professional trajectory? Absolutely. It's such an important part of my story that I actually never really shared. I've shared little bits and bits of it, but never really gotten into it because it is so close to my heart, these aspects. As mothers, were protected. This is something that is so important for us to protect our family, to protect our community, protect our children. And so I at first was taught how to just grow anything by my mother who had cancer off-grid. And I really couldn't handle the handfuls of fills that she was taking every day to survive. And it absolutely just, it it, it killed me to see it. And so my first fight was seeing all the people, and my father as well. I was a Vietnam vet who grew cannabis and fought, obviously, for the civil liberties of our country. Came in and named my sister Mary Jane, and I got stuck with (laughs) another unique name. I was named after LSD, and so that's why I have a nickname. (laughs) But never (laughs) knew that. and at seventeen years old, kinda of living on the streets, being an advocate and hustling cannabis and working as Trevor's doing anything I could to get myself to high school. I had a child and his name was Chaos. And Chaos was born definitely to a hustler mom. It was something that I could tell I didn't know I was pregnant. I had a six six months pregnant he was removed from my body at two and a half and i'm pretty sure they can actually actually, actually in high school at about 17 years old i was living on the streets taking care of people's crops and hustling basically mexican brickweed, doing anything i could to put myself through school i i got pregnant i was 17 years old and they removed a child for me at six months pregnant and my son's name is chaos and chaos survived and he was two and a half pounds when he was born. I was really, really sick. And I was diagnosed with cystic cancer. I'm like, great. Oh. And so I continued advocating and I was relocated after some severe domestic violence situation. I was relocated by victim witness back up to Nevada County where my mom was living out in the woods with cancer. And so I picked up a piece of earth and started going to school for horticulture and said, you know what, my son is worth. Changing everything for getting off the streets, getting away from violence, getting away from all this toxicity, the drugs, the culture that we were all kind of forced into being a cannabis industry. We were forced into being a drug community. You know, it it wasn't our choice. It was something that we were forced into, and so the kids were born to drug use, quote unquote, and it wasn't true. None I, I know myself. I never used drugs. I never drank during my entire. I just started drinking three years ago. I. Dedicated my entire life only to cannabis and herbal consumption, and became a vegetarian. Just wanted to teach my son how we can protect everything and how we can innovate ourselves. And I wasn't just like a dumb hustler or a drug dealer or anything else. I was an advocate. I was pursuing something. And I, I raised my son in the woods, in the garden. And and so you, okay, so you are a
0: And yeah, the so kids, because <laughs> I raised. So you're, again, so you're an early pioneer. And this idea, again, that a young woman who, you found a passion. Becoming a mother does something to you psychologically, biologically. I can't explain it. It just does. And you became very protective. And you, you know, it sounds like it, that idea of having purpose outside yourself and you found cannabis, you understood what it was you knew as a medicine, even though everyone around you was sort of in a different world and you move forward with this. So so what was, again, you're talking about how you had other children around you. What was it like to raise them during prohibition? What was sort of the rules or what was the understanding or how did they even understand what was going on around them?
1: It was, Um, I was thinking about this act after- I was shouting earlier, it's I look back and talk to Chaos now, who's in a 20-minute studio get and I swore that I'd never tell anybody that I'd had it until he was 18 years old. I swore to keep him as hidden, as protected as possible for as long as possible. And all the kids who my friends had drug problems or alcohol problems or whatever, ended up adopting several kids and just bringing them into my space and raising them as their own. <laughs> One of the important aspects of it was the fact that kids didn't get to choose their own friends. We had to choose their friends based on, were the parents cool with weed? Yeah, If not, the kid will end up getting us both. And it it taught the kids like this. And then having to make them understand that we're at the risk for raids. That you had to speak to cops in a different way. That you were part of this communal lie in order to protect your friends and your family. And they were raised. From the gate to be part of that and that's something that my community has been been dedicated to is that protection and so these little schools in the woods they're always more everybody's part of the cannabis community so it was always easier in that way but in 2009 when the federal raids first started hopping in our community i'd already been federally raided at my dispensary
0: which i had so let's finished. go back so so i know that that's a little bit later so i know you started an edible company was that when he was younger how did that what did that come in and how does how's that part of the story? Yeah, I guess I do
1: skip around a bit. Sorry about
0: that. <laughs> That's yes, good that they- I know your story so I can keep you on track. Yeah, okay.
1: Thank you so much, Joyce. <laughs> yeah, in 2099, I really started going towards what is now known as the Oakster Dam community. I started going and vending the wares that I had. learned how to grow off with raising my son and taking care of my mother with cancer. And I started taking my wares to the Bay Area and learning how to vend and how to take my hustle to a Proposition Two Hundred and Fifty level, which is the California Act for Medical Marijuana at that time. So in 1998 and 99, I was really dedicated to being a true advocate, really going in and dispersing all my organic goods. And then in 2001, I started taking everything my mom taught me, which was how to cook candy off grid on a wood stove and how to make all these wonderful things. And I started infusing everything and I learned infusion from the hippies. With the the Grateful Dead, all the rainbow gatherers, they showed me how to infuse using the sun as to use passive heat, how to use clay, and how to make proper long-term infusions. And so I was able to make the first non-chlorophyll concentrated edibles company in 2001, which is Moon Munchie Company. And so <clears throat> my first mission was to help the, the children that had seizures. And there was some doctors locally that at the time Tom was fighting for the right to give my lollipops to these children that had severe seizures and the epilepsy I had taken away their lives and and their parents I get emotional even talking about it because these parents like fought these wars. And so we really we went through a lot of work fighting for this and it started making a lot of attention come to us as we were fighting for it these parents rights and for our right to take care of our parents later on as parents start passing away also you look at your own parents and go okay what is my palliative care and I had to deal with that just four and five years ago when both my parents died and all I could offer was cannabis like to ease the pain so when we come in and we become parents and then when we leave and we we transfer to the next level cannabis is just good for us all the way so I became a mother to the plant and protecting the genetics that I started growing in 1999, and doing everything I could to keep those plants alive and mutating and growing to their best underneath snow, just anything you can think of. Hard winds, snow, growing huge. So where uh, were you? So when you were growing, were you growing? You're all growing this outside, right? Was this all outside? I became a greenhouse light deprivation grower in 2002, which is the art of, of being able to ma- manipulate light with photosensitive. Cultivars. And so, auto flower periods, they flower due to their age. So, you cannot manipulate them with light while the photosensitive cultivars that we've always traditionally used, we can manipulate with light. And so, the light deprivation systems came into my life in Nevada County at about the same time, 2000. And so, back then, we did everything ourselves, we grew it. We concentrated, we make hash, and then we made food, and then we... So, so talk a little bit, like, so yeah. who who is teaching you? Like, well, who was your mentor? How
0: are you learning how to do this? How did, I mean, your mother, your mother was um, grow, but your mother wasn't a cannabis advocate, right?
1: Are you, no, 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 no. My no, no. mom actually was hard, hard, hard against cannabis. All right,
0: think. so we, we get, we get back to that, but you learned how to grow maybe plants from her, but how did you learn how to grow cannabis? What was
1: that... Um, this is something I just picked up because, like I said, in 2001, I, I went to school to become a horticulturist. So okay. I got to college and got my degree in horticulture, and I always have had a green thumb. So when I rose out and I, I grabbed Ed Rosenthal's original book, right, I was around tons of hippies. And so all the hippies, I started hustling for the hippies when I was 13 or 14 years old because they needed distributors. So they kind of vet in the kids that are able to make that transition. So you're already there. You're already trimming in the garden. You're already taking care of plants. Like this knowledge was already, they so already had, really had it into me. Well, that, that, um, that's that's the beauty of introducing kids to it early or like planting. I know when they
0: talk about even like little kids talk about planting it in your garden so they can see what it is. So they know what it smells like. Right. So touch it. So you are early adapter, but you in sort of a different environment. All right. So you do the munchie yeah. company and you did have raids. So just, can you talk a little bit about how that impacted you, how that impacted your child what did it feel like for your community? That, uh,
1: that was a huge one because, like I said, we were fighting for the use of parents and mothers to be able to give this medicinal candies and lollipops to their pa- pa- the patients or the children. And so I was dedicating through the dispensary ownership. I started to different dispensaries in the mid-2000s and kept on distributing through Los Angeles and then through many other places that I shouldn't say online and admittedly <laughs> openly but anywhere that I could. The first raid started down at our dispensary sites down on Mission Street in San Francisco. feds came in and just kept wiping everybody out. So we'd have to move. And that would make it so I didn't even get to be around my kid for a lot of some period of time. We're going through all this worry and stress and trying to hide our children and, and trying to have my uncle or my mom make sure he gets to school out, out there in the woods. And so I just kept on growing and moving around, doing my best to create these dispensary points and create collective just unification through all of the cannabis industry from north to south in California, which we were leading the industry at that time besides Colorado. So in 2009, I had gotten pretty big for my bridges with the Harvest Moon Munchie Company and had definitely put a stamp in. As many people know, I'm not one for keeping quiet. I am an advocate from the, the grassroots and I'm willing to yell about what I believe in. I stand with a moral compass that I believe is Is the strongest thing that you can stand your foundation on. And so they came at me as my community got raided by the federal government and not by the state. And that put things in a real hard place because my child was in school when I got the first call. And we had been trimming for three days straight. Back then we had to jump on it and start trimming as fast as we can as many people as can to get it out the door so that we could get all the evidence of that harvest out and just make sure that we're constantly cycling through with this, this black book of information with only certain people allowed to be around you and then your kids running around. And he is part of it. He's asking, where are you going to buy more cereal when you're sitting there watering a giant cola? And so a lot of people would think that that's odd, but we found it normal. And many of our community of children, they'd stop by a rest to. Help each other's patients, or grow for an advocate or patient, and their their kids are there all the time when they're consumed. there's never a problem. It's a community, a really firm community. I mean, yeah, you actually give me
0: the chills a little bit because we talk a lot about perspective, and we talk about like what is what is normal, what is cultural. We talked a little bit about the, the braiding sweetgrass in the, earlier in the show, and this idea that we're changing perspectives and changing culture, and we talk a lot about Moms normalizing this because they are healthy that's the flip side that's the paradox of this whole narrative we've been told is that the canon moms i meet are the healthiest moms i know and they're <laughs> and they're trying to create yeah, absolutely. communities but you're so demonized and especially you were so early on and that's very difficult i mean once you get federal government did you get child services involved was that
1: did you did it happen that um, like i said i spent a lot of time in my life keeping my son as completely silent and as completely yeah, into the background of my career as possible i didn't actually come out of the closet until i was voted one of the women of meat by stump magazine in 2014 really? I, I kept myself in the closet until then because i'm still growing illicitly in large volume so um, you're, that, you're that. like a super you're like like you're like
0: a, a superhero you have a separate identity like you <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had well, i've done
1: several Mom, drive day, cannabis, <laughs> whatever, patron, my You take your cake. kid to bed, you give him a book, and then you jump in the car with as many pounds as you can carry, and you do your best to pay the bills. And that's how it was for us back then. And we'd go to the legal vending sites and dispensaries, and we'd pay every sort of taxation that we could try to create nonprofit cooperatives. But the beds came to my actual home. And so, luckily, my son was at school. Wow. So, when they came, they had already, um, they had already hemmed up, which is they had already gotten or caught my partner and he had been put in federal penitentiary for 24 plants. And so we had 24 asked, plants, 24 plants people. That's how many you're allowed. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> Two years in federal penitentiary for 24 plants. We had no firearms or any other listening proofs or whatsoever. I ran. I luckily had a girlfriend that was at the local store that saw them coming, and I was just an obvious point in contact, so she knew they were coming for me. So she grabbed my kid from school and took care of him. It <laughs> makes me want to cry yeah. for a long, long time. And they, they came in and, excuse me, no, I- AC, how old was he? <clears throat> how old was chaos when this happened? He was <clears throat> seven. He was little. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so they came in and the, all the SWAT team, the IRS, all of the NSA, and just all of the units, the FBI themselves, they came to our local school where all the kids were. And they went, and they asked to use the bathroom. And so all the kids that grew up in this community where we all protected their Canada, we of the kids were involved. involved, they went in just holding firearms into a school. And actually, just terrified all the kids. And none of the kids knew, like, whose parents were ever being busted. And it traumatized, like, a lot of children that to this day, like, don't trust cops, they don't trust law enforcement because of the way that they were treated. My family was held on the ground with air 15s for five hours while they searched the wits for me. And I had to leave the country to protect my family, my son was always kept protected and always kept in well knowledge of what was going on. She understood that this was medical, that I'm an advocate, What I believe is right, that it would help cure cancer and these other things. And we just really were dedicated, a union of a community that were all these mothers that just wanted to protect the kids. And the, that's the reason why women really hadn't been in cannabis is because we had to protect everything while the men were like bravely out there with MAC-10s of their faces being robbed. And having to run from the cops is the reason is that women haven't been in cannabis is because our role was to protect everything. And so I had to play both roles. Well, well, I, said, well I went back and I snuck back into my garden. Our communities choose who the beds raid. They make these lists of people that are asking for licenses and everything at that time. I was asking to start a dispensary in the county. They denied us. And so they put us on a list. And then they hand out lists to the federal government as, okay, these are the people to rape. When you come, we can hand them to you. And so years later, my partner wasn't able to be there for his daughter to be born. Many other things like happened to where we just kept on fighting. My son, luckily, he was tucked so far into this, the woods that they would have never been able to find him even if they had come for him. But they were really looking for me. I had this DEA agent that just had a, a hard-on for me. And he was like... <laughs> They had just put the, the show weeds out, and yeah. they, they actually wrote on the warrant that they believed that that part of that show was written after me, because at the time, there was nobody hustling large volumes. It's out. a real Nancy Botwin here, people. Wow. AC, hard. And so all that came out, and I, I got a chance recently to talk to my son in retrospect and say, like, do you regret me having... Because I stopped hustling because he asked me to. When he was thirteen, he said, "Mom, just quit. Like, just quit." And of course, I went broke. Because <laughs> after the raids, they stole everything from you. They they still stole a quarter million dollars, and just completely destroyed everything. And you have to rebuild. And there's no proof because they. It's just this corrupt conspiracy within it. And the kids are all taught how to how to run from the helicopters and how to grab the little kid, and. And how to keep them under the trees, and to make sure that they would be avoided from sight. And this is something that they're taught from diapers to to do. And so, to yeah. this day, there's still several thousand kids that I'm sure are still taught that same thing. I know they are in the islands that I work in, um, where the kids are just brought up knowing that like you run and you
0: That's hide. Part of, um, but this, 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 this industry, it's like Jekyll and Hyde now because you've got the biggest businesses out there, men, if they're white men making a lot of money and doing what they need to do. And this makes me kind of crazy.
1: All right. So just a be lot of the point of where I have lost it to a, a, an extreme duress. We have many advocates here that I look up to, like Dale Sky Jones of Oak Street yeah. University, that on her hip, she has her children fighting for the reform of cannabis. And these are women that I respect so intensely. So much honor and respect for these people that kept fighting through all of this. And we have the balls to put ourselves out there for legal cannabis, recreational, or adult use and and see how it still affects our kids, but actually teaching them that this is a corruption that needs to be fixed. It needs to be corrected. So if they're taught correctly, then maybe they'll be the ones to fix it if we can't. You know, they'll be the I think, ones I that, that are
0: I, I, I see that. I see that with these kids. They don't have any of the shame. They don't have any, they have different, they have a different perspective, but all right. So you're a huge can of story. We've got to keep moving. All right. That is a lot of drama. <laughs> so so that goes on.
1: You sorry, I got a little intense there for a second. I no,
0: forgot no. Bali either. <laughs> Those are the stories we don't share enough, I think, because I do talk a lot about the women and we talk a lot about the businesses and we talk about health, but this this reality. And I do talk a little bit about moms who are still in danger, who are consuming mm-hmm. cannabis for their own health and yeah. wellness or using it for their children, which is another issue. And if they're in a state where they're still considered as dangerous as plutonium or heroin, and once you get child services involved in those situations, it's very dramatic and it's very hard to disentangle yourself. And this is plant medicine. This is. I have a
1: friend of mine in Sacramento (laughs) County, that's the capital of California, that just last year had her children taken away from her because she had a personal grow, was going through a divorce. And that dude, like the husband ratted on her that she had two (laughs) toes. from six plants, her legal grow, that were sitting in her garage in a closet, and she had her children taken away for two tubs of untrimmed cannabis. These kids are traumatized for no freaking reason. Like, it makes no sense. It's being weaponized. But yet other people are standing there trying to centralize it and trying to make it this... I'm the sexy Marlboro commercial and we need to greenwash everybody to thinking that let's vape pen, vape, 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 vape. Like that's not what it's about. This is a culture and a community that is deeply passionate about why this rebellion started. And if we hand that fire to kids, we could actually have a chance at a revolution in the future. The
0: power of the moms. All right. So keep moving. <laughs> so I know that you came back, some things happened and I met you last year in Reno where you were talking about your crop tops, do you want to yeah, that? oh, and to like how that like so you decided not to do one part of the industry, but you're still in the horticultural, so how did that come to be, and what do you well, I was
1: about? terrified, uh, really, it all came from the fact that my son was the most important thing in the world, like my my very small family that I, was, I needed to protect, and it was, I wanted to show him that I could do something to change like our rhetoric, to change this conversation to like give me a bridge or a gap to get away from just being part of what was seen as this illicit drug dealing or something even though it's part of the medical marijuana movement that was legal and voted upon in the state of California so I started inventing and I took what savings that I had left and paid to invent. I drew my own designs in a trailer off grid. <laughs> I drew everything by 12 volt by candles and ran generators. While I'm growing it, taking care of my son, I drew the designs. I trademarked them. I drew a crop top greenhouses, And so crop top greenhouses is an instant portable pop-up greenhouse that protects plants from storms. And because I wanted to mother my plants so badly, I kept genetics alive at that point for almost nine years. Now 20. I really just wanted to see how I could make greenhouse quality accessible to everyone everywhere, how to protect your plants, how to use it in diverse ways, and how I could innovate myself and my son and my situation to a higher height. So I filed for my first federal patent a year and a half after I had been federally rated. And I took six years and I was granted my patent in 2018. 21 micro patents underneath it which means i have 21 points of that invention that are also protected as part of the main federal patent i have the first cannabis leaf federal trademark that is used in ancillary brands which is the crop top nice cannabis meat and so all of these things was me wanting to prove to my mom that I wasn't just a, <laughs> a dirty pot dealer and I wanted to prove to my son that I could be more and that he could be whatever he wants even though we're from off-grid poverty and this is our fight and we've been through all this like I wanted to show up could do something different and so I did I put everything I did hundreds of thousands of dollars that I could into that like and not really took off I sponsored Emerald Cup and high times, cannabis cups, as soon as I had manufactured the product, I ended up going to Asia and learning manufacturing, intellectual property, and actually creating the product myself at a manufacturing facility. in Boulder. And going back and forth in Asia, I learned international trades and learned how to create and we on through manufacturing. Now it's really rare because women are not allowed in that area, it's not in cannabis and not in manufacturing especially. China and so I won't I just brought my son in immediately and was just like okay. hey look we're doing something different we're doing these tread shows we're doing this we're going to do everything we can to change this story <laughs> and I did so I launched my own and you are all right
0: so you <laughs> so I do want to talk about Oaks and I want to talk about your consulting but can we just talk a little bit about your mom because I actually have sort of a not as that's similar. So my own mother did not believe in the medical qualities of cannabis. She came on the podcast. She went to a dispensary. She went to a growth facility at the end of her life. I couldn't ease her pain using anything because she really couldn't. She didn't see it. So can we talk a little bit about your relationship with your mom and her relationship with cannabis and even talking yeah, about proving own- this, proving this other business? And,
1: you know, it's hard <laughs> to convince the people you love. I think a huge amount of what we do is to try to prove or change something to our parents. I think that we're all just walking really big kids, like our inner children are really what the voice is inside of ourselves is our inner child talking. (laughs) And my mom was always sick with cancer since I was real, real young. She got Graves' disease when I was two years old, had her thyroid removed, and still lived off-grid on 80 Acres. By herself, going to college, raising two daughters, just completely off-grid, hunting your own food. We built jerky houses, and I was raised in what she would believe is the Native American. And so we built- Oh, so you brought like the whole braiding the braiding grass, you relate to that. Absolutely. Yeah. So every aspect of my life was dedicated to living Native American style, including learning how to do quon huts and traditional. Everything was created on the wood cook stove, and she was the hardest- hard-hitting woman I've ever to this day ever met in my whole fucking life excuse my language blurt that out she became <laughs> the a podcast? podcast we could say whatever we want yeah <laughs> firefighter uh, later on after Jill overcame cancer she became a firefighter and just kicked some major ass, of breaking ceilings that are seen as male industries male-dominated industries and was a forest ranger so she was raised during the reefer madness prohibition though in boston Oh, that was something the Massachusetts area was very hard against that. My family at that site had imported from Germany only one generation prior to that. So they talked very much down on this whole thing. I think my dad came in from Vietnam and got her a little bit into the party phase when she was younger before having kids. And therefore, my sister's name is Marijuana. But with me, it was really this. Try to prove Jerry that no, 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 everything was against no. To the point of where it's violence and there's borderline abuse because they they don't know how to to convey the message. They're getting so angry, and that's how they were taught is through right. violence. So they get so mad, they're throwing bongs. They can I oh, fucking dirty pothead. All these things, but then allow me to grow <laughs> and to understand that I was on a different mission. And it wasn't until two years before she passed away, which was four years ago, that i finally got her to start using topicals. She had her rheumatoid arthritis as well as lupus. And I am sort of making lotions and topicals and she started using them and was able to find relief through that. And so actually, uh, can I back up a little bit? So despite her natural lifestyle or her this idea of living
0: off the land and the idea that if you take care of the earth, the earth takes care of us growing up with that, she, she really just, the cannabis thing was so deep in her mindset that she could not see past what she'd been taught. Is that what
1: you're saying? It was to severity. I think also because of her time and working in law enforcement and those types of things, It was type of pride of where she was like, I can't be part of this for Madness thing because it's mm-hmm. being as white and trash or lesser than kind of communifying or that's what my ex-husband did kind of thing or yeah. whatever it was because my dad was a cannabis killer. Um, and that was because she was born in, in the 50s. Women barely had yeah. these rights. Normally domestic violence violence wasn't even called upon as, as wrong. And so we have had a drastic change. And I actually went through so much fighting and so much arguing with her. I was so mad. And to this day, I will never forgive the situation. And she died nine months before cannabis was legalized in California. And so she saw me go through the whole fight and checked out right before we actually won. That fight. Oh, so that was terrible. Sometimes how life is. That's yeah, the paradox.
0: And like, it's all about the and
1: advocacy and getting a chance to, I was even right after her partner, my stepdad, the first person that I had raised me, I was taking care of him just a few months prior and taking smoothies of cannabis into the retirement home, the facility. And I got the cops called on me and they removed me for giving my stepdad his, his prescription and my uncle his prescription. And they wouldn't let me in and they ended up dying alone on that bed because I was cheeked out for not, for not for giving them counters. And so these are the things that are our operating system, 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 side of our system that we don't even think about. Like, and it's real. Well, it's they like that. That's uh,
0: it's, it's the enforcement of laws, you, of policy. Yeah. Once they're in sort of any sort of facility. Yeah. It's, that's right. Okay. So I'm running up on time. So I know you are doing some education you're doing some consulting, and you're doing some, you're going to be working at
1: Oaksterdam. Are you teaching classes at Oaksterdam? Is that Yeah, well, to continue that, story real quick, is I ended up starting IndiCA Innovations International in 2017, right okay. before I received my federal patent and started going around the world from Asia, Morocco, Bermuda down to the Caribbean. They've been sitting in the Grenadines and wow. helping with the medical marijuana laws being passed there and advocating and helping their women stand up because each of those places have no women's rights whatsoever. And I'd never seen a white woman come in and rep cannabis and know all this stuff and start bringing in. So I just traveled all over the world and still do with IndicaInnovations.com and just trying to help cultivate and infuse and create brands like throughout the world. And so that was something that, again, I wanted to level up and take all of my intellectual learning, cultivating for 24 years and fusing all the information and just give it to the world. And so educating and building custom platforms as I do speaking events and all that kind of stuff became more important than anything. So I got multi-certified, CGMT, OSHA, RA, Sigma-6, any certification. I continue educating myself for international ISO, which is in ISO standards as is the international operating standards of where we'll be distributing Trump internationally soon and the standards that will be met. And then I was blessed with the opportunity to start working with Oaksterdam University, where I'm now a mentor for the Los Angeles County Equity Mm. Program. And so Los Angeles has started their own equity program with the state of California, allowing those equity licenses to get free mentoring with Oaksterdam University, one-on-one coaching about any aspect of their business they can. And we're hoping to move that equity program in Oaksterdam Unification for the mentoring to other states and other places as we get more widespread. And so really enjoying that and enjoying- <laughs> Can you just, I just like a little bit, so Oaksterdam, can you just explain what
0: Oaksterdam is and why it's such a big deal and why it's so important to have these resources, really educating
1: the next generation? Absolutely. Jeff Jones and Dale Sky Jones are the proprietors of the first patient medical cards back in the late 90s here of our medical marijuana movement. They created Oaksterdam University in Oakland, which was 128 different counters dispensary. They all clumbered around four blocks that we used to all dispense to and uh, participated with. And they built an entire curriculum around bud tending and cultivation, home growth, like any different thing. And I'm helping to build some different curriculums now for cultivation for Southern California. And we continue to build for And all of these certified programs are able to be customized content. And then we can offer discount codes. I think I have a discount code for 10% off actually this week for Indica Innovations. If you type that in, you can get 10% off. And there's also several free courses that you can just go in and get certified, get connected. We have all sorts of groups to learn how to cultivate, infuse, build businesses, brands, intellectual property, compliance, all sorts of different things. So They're really great grassroots and I support them because they are a legacy to me and they continue to fight for what's right, including
0: federal reform. Yeah, they're out there doing it. So again, if you're listening, if this is something you're interested in, you want to learn more about some specific area of cannabis, we always talk about the importance of specialization. This is a cohort right there that's doing this and trying to get the next generation up and running so that we can build a really forward thinking industry that our caregivers and heal the world. That's the point, not just, yeah, we want to heal the world. (laughs) absolutely (laughs) absolutely all right so a couple more minutes you love gardening do you think we should all be trying to grow our own what do you think about that and how can people use top crops personalized can use i think that being an innovator
1: in your own space is probably the most important thing you can do i want to tell everybody and all the women specifically that no matter how much trauma you've been through abuse as a child molestation rape like domestic violence been beat down told you're a piece of shit that you're fat or this you're that you know it doesn't none of it matters like your past literally does not matter everything in your future is what matters and you can build and create anything don't be afraid to reinvent yourself like literally don't be afraid to reinvent. you got you're gonna die tomorrow there's nothing we can do but innovate today and show the kids how to continue doing that as well otherwise they're gonna get stuck on screens and we're all gonna become a whole bunch of mushroomed out zombies so I really like it. I just finished a kid's book that I'm about to publish. And as a mother, it's been really important for me to build different stories. and. What, what's it called? It's called Blocks of Wood. And it was inspired by a friend of mine, actually, that committed suicide two years ago. And he had offered me years and years ago, just as a birthday present, a block of wood. And that block of wood became the most useful thing in my world. I used it for so many different things. And it inspired me to create this book, which is a rhythmic fairy tale. And I can share a couple of images with about a fairy that starts teaching this little girl how to recycle. And she started inventing things and recycling the plastic and creating new things and growing hip and then creating blocks not made from wood. And all of it is about just inventing and passing that innovative feel and not just an innovative feel, but conscious innovative feel. Don't just invent a whole bunch of bullshit and throw it out into the market and be all like, look, I'm an inventor. Like, no, like be conscious of what you're making out of it. Make sure you're recyclable. Crop tops is 98% recyclable and innovate everything that we do to that next level. I've also got a a series that I've been working on called bud town where i've taken small buds that i've grown myself and created characters out of them and actually gained a copyright by the federal government for a a pot character and bud town is about educating through visual aperture so the white widow strain which is truly white widow so you can see what a white widow legacy strain looks like her character lives on the hill and has too many dead ex-husbands she's a white widow right and so then we got the, the, the hindu Kush, and as stereotypical as it is, owns the 24-7 BART, and it's totally two-character. It teaches everybody about what Hindu Kush looks like, how it behaves. And I greeted all these characters. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> Do they have certain smells, too? <laughs> like, they're like... And uh, I've pl- implanted the whole concept into 3D imagery, so I'll be able to implant the marketing and advertising into each of those aspects and actually into the cartoon itself. And it's all it's done are, are these like NFT things? Or are these? No, this is real bud that I'm out of. Okay. I a 3D imagery. My uncle Martin used to work for Lucas Films. And so- Oh, I, wow. I fortunately have some graphic animators on my side. And so, yeah, I love to create things. And I really encourage people to like the best revenge is success. Like, what you've proven, look, Lordy oh. Lord, not bad. <laughs> Not go, bad for go, a little go. girl
0: who ran away to like hustle and now look at you. <laughs> well, I I
1: appreciate that recognition. For me, as I sit here, I've never, been, I've always said I've been very into the game and it's been a soccer. They're, they're, they're often not supportive of each other. It, it's a sticky game. And uh, and right now, we have, as I consult with these new that want to enter the industry and I'm sold and, and give them complete bullshit and say, Hey, I welcome you into my industry. This is all going to be pistols and posies. And and we're going to have like a D. We're just going to be around the campfire. It's just going to be kumbaya for the next two fucking years. You're going to get rich off of weed. It's just not going to happen. The whole system is corrupted and it's built to be able to overthrow them by big pharma and large entities that are MSO that can pay a large. These are all like. Big Barma has 10 lobbyists per Senate seat. We have none. I mean, seriously, as we look at it, as a reality, it's all about our society and watching get trashed, then why would it be not okay to smoke a joint and just chill and play Legos with them? Because that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so I really ask that people just keep being innovative in their community because as for the to just innovate your life with your kids by using cannabis and getting off of drugs and alcohol and being
0: being present. I think that's what I talk a lot to the moms. If you're honest and you're transparent and part of what kids want, what kids want is for you to be engaged with their lives. It's sometimes really hard to be engaged with your kids lives because you've got other things on your mind. But cannabis is one of those things that helps a mom calm down and be there, which is really the best things moms can be. All right. We've actually run up against time. So AC, people want to get in touch with you. They want to consult with you. They want to meet you. What's the best way to connect with you?
1: You can find me at IndicaInnovations.com. My personal email is muchinbifoon at Yahoo or ac at com. And I love connecting with everybody in the space and and just like yourself, you've done a great job, Joyce. Like yeah. I saw like you enter and I looked at your background and I was like, wow, she just really entered and just started doing the damn thing. Like you've done so good. And there's been a select few that have really kept their their lane open and clear. And I got a lot of respect for you. So thanks for doing what you're doing over there
0: thank you that's words from og dave man we're making our mark in this industry yeah (laughs) keep it up saving that clip thank you all right so another show thank you ac for my guest ac moon we can find her all over the internet she's a powerhouse she's got an amazing story that wasn't even all of it believe it or not but we got a lot of it covered and of course my canna bro david jazz and our canna mom show team i want to thank you for taking the time to listen to The Canamom Mom Show, where we are on our mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry so together we can crush that stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is The Canamom Mom Show, and we're a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston.
0: Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital
1: and cannabis investors who are investing capital Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.